Wow, it is so good to see all of you. Really is. You know, hey, just a while back, I saw this sign out uh, at a Wendy's. Uh, now hiring two losers. And I'm wondering, how do you interview somebody when you're looking for two losers? It's like, you know, are you pretty dependable? Yeah, I'm pretty dependable. Oh, that, that's not going to work. Um, what, what kind of, what kind of uh, wage are you looking for? Oh, you know, you, know, you said is this many dollars per hour. I think I, I could take that. Wow, this is not going to work. How do you deal with customers that are maybe have some problems and so forth? Well, I try to listen to them and kind of fix the problem issue. You are definitely not going to work for this job because we're looking for two losers, right? I think they missed just one letter. It fell off or something. It was supposed to be two closers, closers, right? Um, you know what? When I was a teenager, I was a closer at Arby's. Right? So closers are important because, you, you know, the money at the end of the day, uh, you got to take care of that. And, and then closers clean everything and make sure it's ready for the next day. And they need to just lock and secure the restaurant so that nothing happens during the night. They are important. Closers. So you interview them differently. Wow. Okay. Um, closers. In a baseball game, you bring in, at the end of the game, you bring in the closer. The pitcher who's going to secure the victory for you. That's what a closer does. In business, a closer is someone who comes in at the end and closes the deal. That makes the deal a reality. That's closers. Today I want to talk to you about, from the book of Proverbs, about when your faith gets pushback. When we are seeking to live for Jesus in this world, but the culture pushes back on us. And has a, entirely different values, entirely different angles, and pushes back on us. And, and what we don't want to be in those situations is losers. Sometimes I feel like I'm a loser. There are two different ways that typically human beings respond and followers of Jesus respond when their faith gets a pushback. Two different ways. One end of the spectrum is we fight. And the other end of the spectrum is we Practice flight. It's either fight or flight. We either get combative, talk back, get angry, or, or we just wimp out, walk away, run away, and don't know what to do. I'd rather be a closer, and that is to finish well my life as I, I walk with Jesus, and to be an influence on other people along the way. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 20, um, and, and to try to avoid this fight or flight, but instead this pathway that Solomon marks out for us. You know, I saw a crazy survey the other day. It asked people in our culture what they thought of Christianity in general. And the responses were sadly largely negative. A lot of people you know, are not big fans of Christianity or the church. And, and the younger they are, the more negative they are. The interesting thing was, that the survey then went on to ask them more questions, those who were skeptics or doubters or pushing back, about if they had a Christian friend. And those who did, they asked them, well, what do they think of them? And the interesting thing was, it was uniformly positive. It was very embracing. And there's a secret here. In general, people have this, many people have a negative perception 
of followers of Jesus, but if they can actually meet somebody who's reasonable, who's kind, who is their friend, then there's influence there. That if we can somehow come into their space and make a difference in their world and, and befriend them somehow, there's something positive that can come out of that when our faith gets pushed back. Okay, I, got you five, I have five questions for you to ask yourself when you encounter pushback from skeptics and doubters and even enemies, all right? And when I say this, by the way, these principles are in personal relationships. I'm not talking about anonymous things that you feel or sense in social media or the stranger on social media or the uh, news cycle that amps you up because it's, it seems to be pushing back on your faith. I'm talking about just at work, in the neighborhood, in your family, in your relationships, you're feeling pushback from people you actually know, all right? Here we go, five questions. Uh, the first one comes from Proverbs chapter 20, verse three. Honor belongs to the person who ends a dispute, but any fool can get himself into a quarrel. Solomon just lays it out there, and he says, you know, it's pretty easy to start a fight. It's pretty easy to get into a fight. The more difficult thing is to bring peace. The more difficult thing is a person who can bring some agreement to a dispute. So first thing I thought of here was, what if when someone pushes back on your faith, maybe they're negative, maybe they really push hard against you, what if you, instead of making a statement in response you asked a question in response. What if you asked a question like, tell me why it is that you feel that way about Christianity? Or could you explain a little bit of your background of why you came to, to believe that? And then sit back and listen to what they have to say. Um, here's here's the, the, the question I want you to ask here. Do I want to win an argument or win the person? If I view this as uh, just a debate where I'm trying to score points, that's not gonna be that impactful. Whereas if I actually say, I wanna win this person over, if I ask a question of them, if I seek to build a bridge to them. Now, understand, there are some people, they're just fighters out there, they're very hostile, and they're just oppositional people. You know, my advice there is just don't take the bait. But if the people are people that you know, and there's pushback, maybe ask a question. Why do you feel that way? Tell me more about that. And enter into their space to learn a little bit more why it is they have that perspective. Jesus did this all the time. And in doing so, when we do so, we can be peacemakers and bridge builders. If we ask enough of these questions, they at least see that we care. And also perhaps with some of them, they'll even ask us, well, what do you think about all of this? And they're, they've felt like you've heard them. That's very important. Generally speaking, Snark doesn't win people over. Patience, kindness, questions, friendship is much more likely to do so. In reality, we want to stay true to God's word without needlessly offending people or getting into conflicts even with those who push back on us. After all, Jesus said this. He said, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And there's sometimes we read this and then we immediately go, but what about, what, what about, what, what about? And we go to all the exceptions to it. And I get those. I, I totally do. But what if this is more the approach that I'm not just trying to score points in a, in a debate, but I really do want to win the person over. It's a personal matter. All right? Keep going. Verse 5. 
Counsel in a person's heart is deep water, but a person of understanding draws it out. The word counsel here means um, their deliberations in their own mind. They're mulling it over. They're, they're, they're thinking about it. They're pondering it. And to really get to what they're thinking about, it's deep water. I mean, it's not in the shallow water. You've got to go out in the deep water and really plunge the depths to really understand where they're coming from. A person of understanding draws out that deep water. Human souls are complicated. And they're difficult to understand sometimes. You are. I am. Here's what I would say. People have stories. They have histories. They have reasons why they have the pushback that they do. And so if we, here's the question, will I take the time needed to really draw out the underlying questions? Some people will say, well, I, you know, I, I've just had these um, bad experiences with the church. I just had bad experiences with the church. And then I say, hey, so have I. We've got something in common here. Let's talk about that. Because they have. Or maybe they say, I just don't understand why people think this. When we t- and why did you arrive at that? When we take time to hear their backstory, seek to understand them. We can ask them, what is it about God that you don't like? What is it about Christianity that you don't like? And we hear their answers. Uh, what, what is it about, describe this God that you don't believe in. And then they'll tell you this God that they don't believe in. And sometimes you can just say, well, I don't believe in that God either. Because that's not what God is really like. So then you build a bridge here. You see what I'm saying? Well, I take the time needed to truly draw out the underlying questions. Verse six, many a person proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy person? As followers of Jesus in a pushback world, we need to first and foremost remain loyal to Jesus. We need to stand for the truth and, and, and not budge from that. And at the same time, we need to love our neighbors. So that means we seek to be, when we can, loyal, trustworthy friends to people, not just our brothers and sisters in Christ, but to people who are neighbors, to people in the workplace, to people in the community. Can we be a trustworthy friend? If the, if the roles were switched, and you were the person still seeking, and you were pushing back on Christianity, and the roles were switched, and you were that person, how would you want to be treated? How would you like to be treated? Will this person... Um, tr- find you to be a trustworthy friend. Uh, there's a, uh, an author, a humorist from way back. Her name was Irma Bombeck. And Irma Bombeck wrote a lot of books. And in one of her books, she said, never trust a doctor whose office plants have died. Okay? It's like, hmm, I'm not so sure about that, you know? In the same way, do people really feel like we're trustworthy friends? that we can be trusted, that we won't walk away if they disagree with us. Imagine this. Here it is. We could imagine a day that we could actually have conversations, warm-hearted conversations about things that we disagree with people about. We could have conversations with them. I know that sounds radical in 2023, but people used to be able to do this. People used to be able to have these conversations and not just cancel each other out and walk away. Now, to some degree, it's always been with us. But, but boy, we've really gotten into this polarization thing. And let's see if we can turn that around just a little bit. Uh, here is uh, verse 7. A righteous person acts with integrity. His children who come after him will be happy. Um, 
Integrity. It has this long-term impact, generational impact. What is integrity? Integrity means that there's an integration, integrity. Integration between what I say I believe and how I actually live my life. And when people see that what I say I believe and how I live my life actually do fit together, that has a positive influence. It's integrity. It's not disintegrating. It's integrating my faith. And people can see that a consistency of what I'm not talking about perfection, but it's like it's fairly consistent with what we're saying. You, they know that they watch you. Your life is credible. One author recently wrote that there are three things that non-Christians really hate about Christians. First, they feel Christians are quick to judge other people. Whether these are fair or not, this is what they feel. They feel that Christians are quick to judge other people. Secondly, they feel that Christians say one thing and do another, that they're not only self-righteous, but they're hypocrites. And thirdly, they feel that Christians stink at friendships with non-Christians. They say Christians don't know how to have friendships with people who are not Christians. Here's what I'm going to ask the question. This is the one. Am I a safe and credible follower of Jesus who will stand the test of time? Am I going to consistently walk in my life in such a way that people around me can see, I may not disagree, I may not agree with you, but I can respect you and you actually live what you believe. All right? Um, Verse 9. Who can say, who can say I have kept my heart pure? I am cleansed from my sin. Now, Solomon asks his questions. Who can say that? And I know that through faith in Jesus, we are forgiven of all of our sins. He's cleansed us from all of our sins, right? But this verse is talking about our kind of daily realities that we live in. Yes, we have been forgiven of all our sins. He's cleansed us. But God still tells us what? To confess our sins, right? Because we still sin. We need to seek forgiveness from time to time because we're not completely pure yet. We're not perfect yet. So Solomon was asking, is anybody out there who says, I've got my act totally together. I never do anything wrong. I'm just perfect the way I live my life. Of course not. No one can say this. No one can say this. And so what it is, is there's a humility there. Sometimes, especially in a pushback culture, we are so afraid to admit our own shortcomings, but there The reality is when we do admit our shortcomings and failures, it can be, for some people anyway, the most endearing, magnetic, and influential thing we do. I saw this picture of this wedding uh, a while back, and this couple, this is years ago, that the cake falls over, it ends in disaster, and I'm sure in the moment it was just horrible, and they were like, ah, I can't believe we did this. But I guarantee you, now years later they look back on this, and they can laugh about it. They can tell stories. Remember when we knocked over the cake and, you know, they can have fun because they're admitting this wasn't perfect. It was imperfect. And sometimes that's the most endearing thing that you can do for people. Here's the question. Am I transparent and humble about my own shortcomings? There's something so winsome and so magnetic about somebody who who will admit, you know, I don't have my act together. I got some stuff. And there's integrity, but you're still saying, yeah, I, I got a long way to go. There's the humility and integrity. So you don't have to admit everything to everyone, but drop the rock, the stone that we want to throw at people and just say, okay, 
I got a ways to go. Look at verse 12. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord made them both. In other words, if you can physically hear and physically see, that's a gift from God. Only God can give you that ability. It's also true spiritually. For any of us to hear and understand the good news of Jesus and to see its truth, that's a gift of God. That's not something that we can do. That's not something that we can give to somebody. Only the Holy Spirit can enable people to hear and see the truth of the gospel. Verse 22, don't say, I will avenge this evil. Wait on the Lord and he will rescue you. So when you get pushback and they even do harm to you, they say, just don't look to seek revenge against that person. I'm going to pay you back for that insult you gave me. No, you say, I'm going to give that to the Lord. I'm going to give that to the Lord. I'm going to wait on the Lord. Verse 27. The Lord's lamp sheds light on a person's life, searching the innermost parts. Now, we are called to be the light of the world. But ultimately, we point to the light of the world, Jesus. And it will be the Lord's lamp, his light, that shines into people's hearts. Ultimately, only God can shine into someone's heart. It takes all the pressure off of us. When pushback culture comes, we've we, we faithful. We've done all these things we talk about. But we, we were willing to ask this question. Um, can I trust the Lord to be the one to change people's hearts? It's not going to be my lamp alone. It's going to be the Lord's lamp that enlightens and searches people's innermost hearts. Tonight... We're going to talk more about all of this in our Good for All conference. And we've got Carlos Whitaker coming, incredible speaker, written many books, speaks all over the country about bringing hope to people and even bringing the hope of Jesus Christ to people who are far from God. How can you draw near to those folks and bring them the hope of Jesus? And then also Dr. Lena Abujamra. She's the founder of Living with Power Ministries. She's a medical doctor, a Bible teacher, and podcaster, author. And she is actually here with us this morning. And I've asked Lena to come on over, and she's going to share with us. Can we give a, a, a wonderful Valley Church welcome? Thank you for having me. And this is her very first time in Des Moines, Iowa. So we need to give an extra big cheer. Thank give it up for Dr. Lena. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Uh, hey, 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 it's my first time in Iowa, but it's my second time in your church. I was here this morning, and I, I got to confess to you, I was sitting in the front sort of thinking about things. I was way too polite. I was trying to make a good impression. It was my first time here. Now it's my second time. So if it's your first time to church, just excuse the next 20 minutes. If I'm a little intense, I'm Lebanese, so everything comes out of my mouth sounds like I'm mad. I'm not mad. I'm just excited. We're excited about everything. That might explain some of the problems in the Middle East, but I want to talk about this angle of pushback. Uh, and by the way, yeah, uh, Iowa. And I actually live in Illinois now, if you're wondering uh, how this all came about. Come back tonight. I'll tell a little bit more about my story then. But Illinois and Iowa shares one thing in common, a state line. <laughs> right? Right? It's as far as, as east is from the west, but it is exciting to be here. But listen, let's just get to this. Uh, I, the last-minute decision for me, I, I knew I was flying in on Saturday night, and so your church graciously asked me to be here in this morning service because I was going to be here in, in Des Moines, Iowa anyway. And so I was like, yeah, why not? But I really believe when things like that happen, God has a reason. 
It's not an accident. So whether you're here for the first time or a million times before, I really believe God brought me here for a reason. There's something about my story, about my delivery, about the message that God has put on my, my heart that will connect with you. And I want to speak to you in the brief minutes that we have. And incidentally, my sweet spot is 40 minutes. We've got 20 together, and I already talk fast. So that's okay, guys. We'll still be friends. Uh, you can listen to the recording later. Put it on half speed. Do not ever, warning, do not ever put it at double speed. You will have a seizure. They're, they're, my podcast has a warning. But I want to tell you about two guys and specifically why are so many Christians unraveling with pushback? Even in Iowa, not just in Illinois, all over the United States, you show up and you hear about church people who are no longer coming to church. Evangelicalism is dropping. Christianity is dropping. People who grow up in a Christian home leave the church. These statistics are all over the internet. You don't have to, you know, be a genius or be on social media to know that there is a problem. Why are we unraveling because of pushback? Pushback is not new. People have endured pushback from the Bible days. Even in the Old Testament, there was pushback. This is not a 2023 problem. I want to tell you about two guys in the New Testament. And uh, before I land in 2 Timothy 4, uh, one guy's name is D and the other one is John Mark. John Mark, I'll tell you more about him in a minute. You might be familiar with him from, from the Gospels, but uh, let me tell you a little bit about him first, and then I'll land in 2 Timothy 4, and I want you to think about why is it that so many Christians are unraveling with pushback? I'm going to give you three words sort of to ponder as we get into this is love, expectations, and perseverance. Love, expectation, and perseverance. And so first of all, let me tell you about Demas. This guy started off a partner of the Apostle Paul, all right? And finally, a book that many people aren't even aware of. It's a short book. If you ever are like, I want to read through a book of the Bible, pick Philemon. It's very brief. You'll feel good about it by the end of the day. And so whether you're, you know, a teenager here, whether you're an elderly, this is your chance to read a book of the Bible. Uh, but people forget it and miss it. But at the very, very end of it, it says this. Paul writes to his friend Philemon. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So he describes Demas and Mark as fellow workers. Now, the other reference to Demas is in Colossians chapter 4, again, at the very end of the book that Paul is writing to the church in Colossae. Colossians is one of the prison epistles. So he was in a prison when he wrote that epistle. And in it, Paul writes this. He says, uh, uh, verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Now, that's interesting because he's in prison and he has a posse of people with him. That's how prisons worked back then. You didn't have a warden. You didn't have people who cooked for you. So the only way you survived was your friends would bring you things. So you're allowed to have a certain number of people with you. So Demas is described both as a fellow worker and a man who was in prison with Paul. That does not sound like a Christian who's on the outskirts. He's like the guy who's like, you know, not just even an usher. Like he's here every time the church opens. I showed up today at quarter eight. There were tons of people already coming. Like even for the eight o'clock service, that was really early. All right. That's how Demas was. Now, John Mark, we, we glimpsed uh, one reference to him in the uh, verse that I mentioned earlier, but let me tell you a little bit more about John Mark now. Remember, two guys, how does pushback impact us? There's two stories. One is Demas and one is John Mark. John Mark was a teenager. He's actually mentioned very first in Acts chapter 12, and he got saved. Maybe we don't know, you know, how the details of that, but he grew up in a home that uh, had a praying family. His grandmother held a prayer meeting. So he's mentioned in Acts 12, but then we see that as he got a little older, he had an uncle named Barnabas. If you're a Bible person, if you read the Bible, you're familiar with Barnabas. He was a partner of the Apostle Paul. Barnabas uh, and Paul were called to be missionaries in Acts chapter 13. 
And Paul, man, fascinating. He wrote half the New Testament. He came to Christ with a miraculous story. And so um, early on in his ministry, the Holy Spirit calls Paul and, Paul and Barnabas to go on a mission trip. And it was one of many of trips where he planted churches. And many of us are here because of the work done by the early church back then. And so basically it says in verse 4 of Acts 13, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they, Paul and Barnabas, went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God, and then it says, and they had John to assist them. John, Mark, same guy, all right? Don't be confused, like middle names. So he goes by John or Mark, and you'll see that in a minute. So John, the teenager, young adult, goes with his uncle Barnabas, and imagine this, the apostle Paul, who is already like on fire for Christ. He goes with them, and he um, starts this mission trip, and you know how long he lasted? Like eight verses. <laughs> like literally, you pick it up in verse 13. It says, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Persia and, and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, you might be like, well, maybe he had an emergency. Well, go to Acts 15 if you're looking in your Bibles. And, and in Acts 15, we see a little bit more of the story. And here I put markers so I don't waste time if I can find that here. Okay. Acts 15 Paul and Barnabas are in this like strong work ministry relationship together, okay? You guys have seen partners in ministry teaching pastors. They love each other. They're in it to win it. And you get to chapter 15 of Acts when Barnabas' nephew has left. And I'm an aunt, so I can tell you, like, nephews are so important to me. I have three nephews that live like five houses down, and they are like my sons. Sometimes the nine-year-old mistakenly says to me, Mom, like, like, it is hard. Like, you can't, like, don't. Talk about my nephews, right? And you know, moms, how you feel about your kids? Like, that's how you feel about my nephews. That's how Barnabas felt about his nephew. And here's how we know that in Acts 15. It says in verse 36, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Good pastors, good missionaries. They want to go back and check on the churches that they were in, all right? And listen to this. It says, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. The nephew, right? Because his family and he's his nephew. And so he says, uh, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia. You say, how bad did it get? Well, it says there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul picked up Silas and on and on. And they went separate ways because John, Mark, with some pushback, left for a while. So Demas, fellow laborer, friend of Paul, in prison with him, John Mark started well, and now in the middle of the road, he's struggling. Now you go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, 2 Timothy is the end of the life of Paul. Literally, he gets killed by Nero. The thought is sometime after that, not long after that, it's the last things he wrote, basically, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, a letter to Timothy, a young pastor. It's a very mentoring letter. It's a beautiful letter. At the end, again, Paul does this in every letter. He gives them greetings. Their greetings are awesome. It gives you some sense of what was happening in the culture back then. Sometimes we gloss over them in reading scripture, but you learn so much through them. And so Paul ends, and it's sort of a very sad and, and sort of a bittersweet section of scripture, because you see Paul at his best, but you also see the wounds in his life. Christians get wounded in the journey. 
If you've been a Christian for, if you have any white hairs here and you've been in Christ for some time, you know that it hurts sometimes to be a Christian. Paul has taken his share of beatings and you get to the end of 2 Timothy and he says, do your best. He's writing to Timothy, do your best to come to me, to see me, do your best to come to me soon in 2 Timothy 4 verse 9. And here it is. He says, for Demas in love with the present world has forsaken me. Demas in love with the present world has forsaken me. Demas, I want to call him demon. <laughs> Maybe there is a little bit of a, uh, sadly, uh, uh, some connection there. But, but he, he decides, I don't love God as much as I love the world. So here's a guy who used to be in prison with Paul. Here's a guy who used to uh, be a fellow worker with Paul. Now he says, I'm done. It says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Thessalonica, known for its riches and center of everything. Thessalonica is like Chicago. So you know when you move to Chicago, things are bad. No one moves from Des Moines to Chicago. <laughs> he didn't just move there. He moved there because he loved the world. Was it pushback that revealed what he loved? Was it the anger of the culture? Was it the canceling of people in his life? Was it prison that eventually said, enough, I cannot do this. But the pressure in his life revealed who and what he loved the most. Why are so many Christians leaving the church? Why are kids that are brought up in a children's home, in a Christian home, walking out and saying, man, not for me, no more. It's all about who you love. Christianity is not about coming to church. It's not about reading your Bibles even. It's not about memorizing scripture even. It's about a love relationship with the king of the universe, with the creator of the world, with Jesus Christ, the son of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If you're here for any other reason but that you love God, maybe you're here because you're like, man, I thought if I came to church, like God would be pleased with me. And if I show up, then I'll do well in my job. And if I show up, then I'll get a raise or I'll, pa I, there was a season in my life. I would be like, I need to have my quiet time every day because if I do, then I'm going to get an A on the test so I can go to medical school and be a doctor. That's not Christianity. Christianity is a love relationship. You understand that God loves you so much. He gave you everything. And in Christ, you have everything. You don't need a house and a dog and a kid and a nephew and whatever else we think we need. You don't need a huge platform. You don't need money in the bank for when you retire because God's got you. These things are nice. But being a woman who's traveling to the Middle East regularly to work with refugees, I can tell you that there are many people who don't even have a home in this world. They live in a tent and they are happier than we are because they have found Jesus. Who do you love? Pushback will reveal that. When your friends are canceling you, when your job is threatening you, when the culture hates you, who do you love? Do you say, no, I'm done, man. I'm going to leave the prison now and I'm going to go out to the world because there at least they accept me. Many Christians have changed their views on biblical points and principles and values. Why? Because they don't want to be unloved by the world. James said you cannot be a friend of the world and be a friend of God at the same time. James 4. Who do you love? Secondly, expectations. What did you expect? John Mark, the teenager, he expected maybe that, oh man, I'm gonna be going traveling with Paul and Barnabas. It's gonna be good. Five-star hotels, green rooms stocked with sparkling waters. This is the life, right? That is not the celebrity Christian that Paul was. Paul's green room wasn't a prison cell. 
Paul was beaten for speaking the truth. Barnabas and Paul suffered for what they did for Christ. And maybe John Mark, early in his life, was like, this is not what I signed up for. I gave my life to Christ, and that's what I get for being a Christian? Where do we form our expectations? Because we are living in a world where we think that if we do our part with Christ, that he's going to do his part and give us whatever it is, dream that we want. We, there's a part of that that has played out in the purity culture in the United States. We think, man, if I'm single, I happen to be single. That if you're single and you honor God with your thoughts and with your behaviors and you don't sleep with anybody and you don't watch porn on, on the computer, then somehow God's going to magically show up a husband in the form of like a 6'3", good-looking, rich guy who loves Jesus. That's the purity culture, and, 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 and people now are like in their 30s disappointed, like, how did that not work out? I don't understand. Well, did you read your Bibles? I mean, we know Eve was beautiful, but nobody really describes Adam. <laughs> Where do we get this idea that if I show up, God will fill in the blank, my dream wish? We're crumbling because our expectations are put in the wrong thing. We're still about me, 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 me. And so here's John Mark. He's like, enough. I can't do this. He leaves. And it causes a disagreement with Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas defends his nephew out of love. But you see the problem. Many of us are like that. We get pushed back. Our neighbors hate us. So little by little, we start going over there, not to talk about Jesus, but to share a drink. And next thing we know, we're like skipping church because we're going to go to their game. And we justify it by the fact that, oh, we're all doing it for the name of Christ. And next thing you know, you change who you vote for. Next thing you know, you change what you read because you don't want to be reading the Bible as much so as not to offend them. Next thing you know, you don't even believe the things because now your kids are living a lifestyle that, that is uncomfortable for them to be around you with. So you're like, well, I don't really think that's wrong. And next thing you know, you don't even know the Jesus of the Bible. But it goes back to who do you love? Are you in it because you love Jesus? But more importantly, because you recognize that he loves you. We think it's about how much I love Jesus. My story is one of failed expectation. I left the church in 2013 because it was an abusive system that was set up. And I thought God would do certain things, show up in certain ways, and he didn't for a while. I now look back and think what happened to me is that maybe I deconstructed as the word used. Whatever it was, it was bad. It was hurtful. It, was, it felt like, well, how could God do this to me? But at the end of the day, it felt how I'm here today, why I'm here is a realization that I'm still here because there's a God in this world who still had his hold on me. Where was I going to go? If I made my bed in hell, he was there. Wherever I went, he was there waiting, waiting, waiting. He's waiting for some of you. Some of you, so the third and last point, we talked about love, we talked about expectation. Now we're going to talk finally about, about endurance or perseverance, whichever. Endurance is the mark of a true Christian. You got Demas. He falls in love with the present world. He leaves. We don't know what happens to him. I presume that he never came back, but we don't know for sure. But here's what we do know. John Mark came back because here's what Paul says. He says, Demas in love with this present world has deserted me. But then he says, Luke alone is with me. Remember, Luke was a doctor. God bless doctors, right? <laughs> They're faithful to the end, even though they can't keep a plant. <laughs> and then he writes this, get Mark, get Mark, get Mark. Why? And bring him with you. Why? Because he is very useful for me in ministry. 
Mark, who midway through the road left now, Paul's last days, he says, I want Mark here because he's useful for me in this ministry. Mark has a turnaround. Mark, though he started well, struggled in the middle, but decides, I do not love the world and the things of the world. I love Jesus. I know he loves me. He starts thinking about those things. Maybe Barnabas, his uncle, by the way, a great example of a neighbor who stuck with him. Maybe that's what you're going to get out of it. Maybe you are the Barnabas. Listen, you can be in relationship with people who walk away, but maintain the integrity of what we believe based on the word of God. But now, the end of the life of Paul, he says, bring Mark He's useful. Anybody know the names of the Gospels? Matthew, what's the next word? What's the next one? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Say, what happens for people who persevere? Well, sometimes they write one of the Gospels. Where are you at today, friend? Do you love Jesus? Have you ever come into relationship with him? Maybe today is the day where you understand that Christ loves you so much he died on a cross for you in order to absorb your sin and give you his righteousness. What it means to be saved is that you, know, you are no longer your own. You count the cost, man, this is my life. It stinks. I don't want it anymore. I want the freedom that comes with Jesus. Today is the day you can get saved. You just ask him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe you are saved, but your love has grown cold. Listen, you need to answer the question to the Lord, who do you love the most? And is it evident by the choices that you make? Or maybe it's a check of your expectations. Maybe you're sitting in the seat going, yeah, I expected Christians to be nicer, frankly. Even this really nice pastor, he doesn't even say hi to me when I walk by him. We have chips on our shoulders from past hurts we need to deal with. Listen, come before God with your expectations, but most importantly, decide how will you finish. Paul finished well. He wrote, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. How? How did he do that? Well, later on in the, in the end of his words, he says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. And here it is, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. And then he goes on, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into the heavenly kingdom. A love relationship with Christ understands that you are safe in the arms of Christ no matter what's going on in your life on the outside, no matter what the culture thinks of what we believe, no matter what your kids or your parents accuse you of, listen, you stand on love. God, I ask that you would stir in hearts today, that even as we drive home in a few minutes, you would awaken us to your love. And as you do so, that you would change us, that those who are now trying to decide about whether they will come into a relationship with you would have the eyes of their hearts open to you. But God, that those who are floundering because of failed expectations and past wounds would come to understand that you are a God who sees them, who loves them, and that those of us who are maybe middleway through the road, that we would commit and resolve that from now on, we will live as if you are the one we love the most. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, amen. Can we thank Dr. Lena? Wow. Thank you so much. We're gonna have our worship team come out right now. And guys, um, I want you to imagine for a moment um, uh, just imagine in your mind a kind of snarky, 
pushback teenager who's like, yeah, I don't really believe all this Jesus stuff. Kind of Jesus freaks. You know, I, I sort of believe in God, but I, I don't know if I really buy all this getting really serious about Jesus. Imagine a snarky teenager like that. How are you going to relate to somebody like that? I'm so grateful that God put into my life a snarky teenager, um, my neighbors. Their names are Bill and Charlene Mellencamp. Some of you have heard of them before. Here they are. They were my neighbors, and they were Jesus people. And I, when I first met them and got to know them, I thought they were kind of, you know, over the top and kind of crazy people. And I thought, <laughs> keep my distance. And I'd push back. But you know what? They never got angry. They listened, they asked questions. And then I asked questions. And they consistently, they weren't perfect, but they had this consistency of life. And it's just like they were killing me with kindness. Quit doing this. Now I'm thinking I might want to believe in this Jesus like you do. And after a couple of years, it just, they just wore me down with love. And kicking and screaming a little bit, I found myself getting down on my knees, this snarky teenager, and saying, I want to believe in Jesus like Bill and Charlene. Because if the worst thing that could happen to me is I'd become more like them, I think that's more like Jesus. I also had the opportunity to watch them. They got pushback too. They were public school teachers. They got pushback. They had difficulties. Life didn't always go as they expected. Bill got cancer. Tragedies happen. People disappointed them. People walked out on them but they love Jesus more than anyone else. Can you pray with me right now? Lord, it's no accident that this is the message that you gave for us to share today. And Lord, I pray that you would touch every heart there, there's something for everyone here. Maybe the way they've been relating to a pushback culture and maybe there's a different approach. Or maybe it's, they're tempted to walk away or they're really struggling or they have questions. Father, help us all to look to you, to look to Jesus Christ, our savior, and to find in him everything that we need when people disappoint, you never do. Help us to look to you. We love you, Lord. Strengthen us. Make us courageous. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be kind. Help us to be bold. Help us to be like Jesus. And everybody agreed and said, amen.